Hey, everybody. Welcome into episode number 84 of the Curtain Call podcast. It's a production of the Yes Network. He is Yes Network president of production and programming and executive producer John J. Filippelli. I'm Justin Shackle. Producer Dan Busson is with us as well. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss the latest episode here on Curtain Call. It is the uh, the first episode of 2023. John, what's the statute of limitations for you with saying Happy New Year to people after the New Year? How long do you go? Uh, July 4th. Whoa, whoa. All right. I know you're being facetious there. <laughs> of course. Uh, I don't know. This I, I, Probably a week. Yeah, there we go. All right, we're on the same wavelength there. I mean, you know, I there were, I don't, New Year's just never resonated with me. I mean, it did when I was a lot younger, and you know, you go out, you'd party, you do whatever. But as you get older, you, you know, especially when you once you get a family, or whatever. I mean, you don't really go out. Most people don't go out partying to whatever anymore. You leave your uh, those days behind you and whatever. I so I never, I never saw it as, as much of a. I mean, as, I've been in. I go on vacation usually. I'm in a different time zone, and I'm probably fast asleep by the time New Year's comes in. So it doesn't really resonate with me anymore. It's just it's just a you know so it's, it's just a line of demarcation from you know one year to the next. And I, I, there is symbolism to it, I'm sure, but to me, there's very little. And uh, it, it is of all the holidays to me, it, it lacks the, the the real gravitas of you know some of the others. The other days are days of you know are, of uh, sort of you know. Um, memorializing certain things and you know whether it's july 4th or it's you know veterans day or memorial day you know those days are somber and they they have you know great great meaning and should and, and time of remembrance uh, i guess new year's supposed to look at the year and you take stock of your life but you could do that any day exactly so yeah. I, I the, the happy new year greeting carries very little weight yeah. with me so me, yeah. me too so i mean i you know but and then there's all those there's all by the way there's all kinds of new years there's the chinese new year there's the, the right there's all kinds of new years every yep. and the group has a new year pretty much for the most part well right. you, no that is very true uh chinese new How about year opening, yeah wouldn't that be considered like a new year uh, you know what people greet me with happy new year on opening day and i kind of like that i like that more than the regular new year i think it's uh for, if you're in that industry in that circle and you're at the ballpark on opening day you get created happy new year it makes you feel good because we're, we're about to start a fresh season um we're roughly one month away from pitchers and catchers reporting here a lot of items to discuss with the new york yankees we're gonna dive into some of that we're gonna go around the league a little bit and we're also gonna touch on the brooklyn nets uh, ahead of their big game on thursday night in brooklyn against the boston celtics but first and foremost the new york yankees I'm wondering this, John, is everyone who will be on the Yankees opening day lineup, those nine players, are they currently in the Yankees organization? Uh, if you're talking about is the roster set, I would say no. If you're talking about the starting the, nine, the starting nine, there's a good possibility they could be. Um, they, they could be. But, but although, you know, listen, I would say you don't know. Because if you have a chance to upgrade, no matter what the team is or who the team is, you have a chance to upgrade it. You have a chance to make yourself better in a place. Then you go make it. Whether it is, you're, I mean, the, the starting pitching seems pretty set to me. I don't know where it wouldn't be there. Bullpen, you could use an arm or two, so they're not set. I think totally. I still think they're looking for something. Obviously, the Yankees are looking for left field. They need an outfielder somewhere there. So, so that's obviously not set. So, I think they'll try and do something. There's also talent that's sitting out on the market. Players that are looking for jobs that I think will, you know, will obviously has to settle. 
So there's still there's still players to be employed. There's still positions of need for the Yankees as a couple, and particularly in the areas of depth. Like I don't know that the Yankees could, the Yankees could use some a little help in the infield. You just don't know where those bodies are coming from. We have so many different you know second baseman, shortstop. We have we have multiple players, and it's just to see you know who they feel is ready to make that jump or that transition. Who they who has a really good spring training. Spring training will help a lot because it'll help define like players who get hot. You know, guys has great spring training. So, okay, you know, maybe he's ready to make the jump to the big leagues. Or, yeah, we thought he could be in the spring training, kind of solidified. He had a really good spring. Let's give him the gig and see where it goes. You know, you'll, you'll see some of that for sure. So I would say the Yankees are are not totally settled in, in, in this team at all. Uh, you know, they're, they're more settled than most teams. But I do think that there's a certain amount of areas where they could use some help. And I think spring training will define where they go. You think teams are going to be more, I don't want to say engaged, but more um, prone to making bigger decisions during spring play because of the new rules coming in? I think it's a good Petri dish. I mean, I think they'll look at spring training and, and they'll, because you'll start to see things like, the, again, you know, you know, the, the, the shifts rule is, is one of them. I mean, what the, how they how handle that. And, you know, and there's, I mean, there's other things, obviously that, you know, with, in terms of the pitching and stuff that they have to look at. And, you know, I, 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 I think, but in the aggregate, you look at spring training and you say, Who's you know who who did we look to win a championship? This is no different. It's actually making the teams is similar. If you're going to win a championship, you have to get help from unexpected places. I have preached this for a hundred years, and I, I believe it for a hundred more. You're going to get help. You're going to find help. Your season's going to happen where you think you're set, and all of a sudden there's a key injury and you're not set, or all of a sudden you know some, something happens somewhere and you know there's a, a force you to make a deal, and a guy that you thought would would really was going to really be a big asset to your team is hitting 120, 130, 140, and a pitcher you thought was really going to be a big help to you has got an ERA of seven, and, and so you're, the best laid plans have now gone away. So you can leave it like that, but you can't. So you can say that. So you got to address it. So that, therefore, your need will get forced. So I, I think they'll have to look at the situations. Uh, you know, obviously they'll have to take a look in the aggregate and see where they are. But I, but I really do think that yes, I think the Yankees are not defined yet. I think that they've got real. Obviously, there's a, a foundation, a strong foundation. The players you will see. But you know, barring in this injury, there's all sorts of things that, that go into this hopper for them to make the final decision. Some players a great spring. Maybe they don't think Volpe is the guy yet. Maybe they don't see Volpe as the shortstop till maybe a year from now. Suppose he has a great spring. That they'll say, "Why? Wow, he's, he's a guy sitting three seventy. How we? I know it's spring training, but it's still three seventy. So mm-hmm. why are we? Why would we not give him the job? Right?" I think there are situations that still need addressing for sure. I think th- as far as the lineup goes, you still need a, another impact bat. I think you, the offensive core that you kind of just alluded to, yeah, I think it's set there. But where do you find le- where do you find a team with a left fielder that doesn't hit? Right now, in the AL East, in the Bronx. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, yeah. so you mean you need you need a. I mean, unless Stanton is your everyday left fielder, and that doesn't seem like it's going to happen, right? So if he's not the everyday left fielder, then or most of the day left fielder, mm-hmm. then what are you doing? They have to figure that out. Another name that's still making news, and and it's weird because they're making news because nothing's happening. It's like when the next development happening, that's that, that's when the headlines are really going to come in. It's Carlos Correa. Obviously, he doesn't play left field. But he does play an impact position. You could argue that the Yankees could go that route at shortstop or maybe even third base. As we are recording this on January 10th, Correa is still out there. Should the Yankees at the very least be monitoring the situation with Correa? I mean, I think they're monitoring it. I just don't I just don't see them making that move when you've drafted as they have through the years. They have a they have a 
we have a plethora of shortstops. And, you know, they have resisted major trades that would have helped them in, in, in certain places like uh, uh, they resisted deals because they didn't want to include the shortstops prospects. So if they haven't made major deals because they had, they didn't want to go after uh, a, a real established player to uh, give up one of the shortstops, then then why why in a scenario like this are they going to say, well, we go get Carlos Correa because you know he's you know he'll help us, he'll do this, he'll do that. Yeah, I'm sure he would, but but they put they put so much stock in these in these infielders and they've drafted them and they've nurtured them and they resisted trading them. These are blue chip stocks as far as they're concerned, and they don't want to move them. Well, what about his willingness to perhaps play third base? Well, you know, it, it's possible. I mean, he's, he's certainly the Mets were going to use him as a third baseman. So, I mean, could he play third? Of course he can. I mean, almost any shortstop could play third. You, I mean, you know that. And mm-hmm. Because if you can play short, you can play third in the big leagues. That's just the way it works. And uh, so I, 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 it, it's possible that they could do that. But I just don't see them. I mean, look at the financial commitment, though. I know the Yankees are, have, have done well for themselves, but but honestly, look at the financial commitment the Yankees have just made between I mean, the Judge deal, which is a monster contract. That's a monster contract, and you know, Rendon is a, is a is a pretty good contract, pretty solid con- big contract. You know, they've got players coming up that they're going to have to start talking to if they want to keep. Uh, they're going to have to pay them. So the Yankees are, you know, their payroll is getting higher and higher and higher. And, you know, it's like, again, I know that the Yankees have, have the luxury of, of, you know, having a lot of resources. But at the end of the day, you know, Hal, Hal has shown an aptitude for wanting to run this like a business. And he's not afraid to spend money where he needs to spend it. And he's shown that. He's shown a willingness to do that for sure. But I think at the end of the day, he's trying to run a business, too. So I, I don't know that the Yankees are just going to say, let's go get. I mean, again, they have, this is a very interesting cir- set of circumstances because, you know, the the real deal in here, now this is two teams. Now, no matter what the Mets say, they've obviously, they would have made, this deal would have been consummated if, in fact, they, they, they thought, you know, there was no problem at all with Correa. So obviously they believe there's a problem somewhere there. So, and obviously they, they are echoing what the Giants said. They don't want, now they don't want to commit, it looks like, to those long years, which you can't blame them. Yet that's a long time to have a player under a contract. 12, 13 years is a really long time to do that. And I at Correa, you know, that, that puts Correa, you know, well into his 40s. I, I don't see them making I don't see them if there's a way out of that deal, I, I think that there that 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 will happen. But now, do I think that the, the Mets could restructure this deal? If there's no other place for Correa to go, and so the Mets turn around and say, We'll give you five years at we guarantee you five years at blankety blank or six years at blankety blank or five years or out of we'll give you an eight year deal, five are guaranteed, and we do vesting options for a sixth year or seventh year, depending on their bats and health, et cetera, et cetera. They could certainly go out and restructure this deal. Now, there's a lot going on here because you got the Players Association in the middle of this. Because, you know, listen, this is the deal we made, this is the deal we signed. All of a sudden, you're going from 13 to five. How can you do that? I can restructure this, do that. I mean, so they're going to, that, that's not in the best interest of the players. So they're going to, you know, they're going to complain about what's not in their best interest. You've got a very powerful agent, Boris, who's very powerful, a lot of say. You know, he's he's not happy about the, the situation. I mean, now you see them going back to the twins because the twins have, you know, whether they have 10 years on the table or whatever they have on the table, that's not as much money, but it's still a, a heck of a contract. So he's, Carlos Correa is going to get paid a lot of money. It's just a matter of, is he going to pay a lot of money or is he going to pay an exorbitant amount of money? That's where this goes. So again, you know, if you're baseball, if you're these teams, it's like if I'm an owner of a team, I'm not going to commit 12, 13 years at that kind of money 
for a player that even in my back of my mind has got a 20% chance or a 25% chance of not seeing this through because of injury, because then I'm responsible for the rest of that money. And that is significant when you try to put a team together and the prices of, of, of labor in baseball is going up, is going up astronomically. Look at the signings, the free agent signings that have happened in the last two years. This year, I mean, everybody thought they would be retrenching because of the economy. It's not retrenching at all. It's going, it's going the other way. So if you're an owner, you have to be circumspect, particularly about a deal like that that's going to tie your payroll up or could conceivably tie your, your assets up for many years. I think Correa is worth all that. Maybe not a 12-year deal. Maybe, you're like like you said, you work into some type of provision. Maybe it, it, the baseline is an eight-year deal, two vesting options that maybe carry up to 10 that. years. Look, right. look, he's he is 28. It's not like he's 30, 31, like some of the other... Yes. Free agents right. that receive massive, uh, massive deals here, and that injury years puts him in his forties. Yes, well, I wouldn't go there, but I'm saying if you could do a ten year deal there that takes him to 38, or uh, to to try and cover yourself with the risk of that ankle injury again, maybe the baseline is is an eight year deal where a couple of options do kick in. I'm all for that. That's still I, a significant I, change, though. That's still significant over the, the contract. It is. It's a lot. It would mean a lot of leverage had been lost between now and him signing a deal like that, for sure. Yes. There's yeah. no doubt that that's because that, but there's a difference. There's a difference between 13 guaranteed or whatever or 12 guaranteed or whatever or 10 guaranteed or whatever. And and like five or six guaranteed with vesting options. Yeah. depending on how you. I think that's probably the best way to go. But you could see if you're a, if you're the player or you're the agent, or you're the players association, that's not really a way you want to go, if mm -hmm. you can avoid it. But I don't know, given what's out there now, with two teams saying what they're saying, I don't know that, that, that that's going to happen for him. Along Guys, the breaking news, Correa's uh, signing with the Twins. They're finalizing a six-year, $200 million deal. Well, how about that? As I said, <laughs> how about the six years, $200 million? Breaking as we, but that's pretty much what we were saying. Yeah, but you, you thought six years was going to be way too low. Me? Didn't you just say it would be it would be difficult for him to agree to a, a deal I, with difficult for him length? to agree because he not because he because in principle he wouldn't want to agree to a year that was you know that was to uh to to those years at, at because why but he didn't have a choice. See, the point is he doesn't have a choice. Where's he has no leverage here. If the two teams ahead, which were the which were the two teams ahead, which were the uh, the I'm uh, sorry the, uh, the 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 uh, Twins and, and Mets, right? The Twins and the, well, no, it wasn't it was the first? Yes, it was first. The, the Giants, Mets. the Mets and the Giants. We're talking yeah. about. Yeah, the Mets and the Giants say, and they did say, we 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 sign him, we want him, we're giving the money, we're giving the years. Oh wait a minute, we're not. Now now we're very very up nervous about this. It's two teams did it. Mm -hmm. Now, that's enough for the rest of baseball to say, wait, it's not just one team. It's two teams. They're agreeing that there's a problem somewhere here. How can I make a long-term investment at big money in a player, no matter what his what his pedigree is, what his what his, the back of his baseball card says, no matter how good a postseason performer he is, how could we make a commitment like that because of what's at stake here? That's a huge financial commitment, and it's a lot of years. Even though it's going to be the craze dismay, he would probably have to make a deal that was five or six years or seven years or less with vesting options because that's the only way that club is going to say yes. Nobody's going to say we don't want Carlos Correa. He doesn't belong in the game. It's so, such a severe situation. We can't have him play. No, they're just going to say we, we're going to go half that contract because mm -hmm. that's what we'll do. Or, or we'll figure out a way to make it. We'll guarantee half of it. The rest will go year to year and see how it goes. It's going to have to be some creative, constructive, creative bookkeeping 
was going to be involved here. And there's comes creative booking that just happened. But back to the twins. Yeah. Uh, I, I had to go to my calculator because this is how poor I am at math. Uh, average payout of uh, $33.3 million a year for the entirety of that contract. So six years, $200 million, um, was... What did he get? What was his last deal? I know it was like a one and one. He had, he had the, it was a two year deal, but a right to get out. I think of it was thirty five million a year. We got thirty five so. million a year. Yeah. Which is and the reason that he signed the contract with the Twins originally was the market wasn't there, wasn't yeah. big. So he figured, let me play a year. I'll reestablish my worth as a player. You know, which he did. He reestablished my worth, and I'll go out on the market. Hopefully, the market is better. And that was the thinking of a lot of players. A lot of players who opted. Verlander was another. We opted out of a of a, of a second year guaranteed at big money to to take it to, to take a shot at the market, and it paid off because the Mets were there to give him more. So a lot of players were thinking along those lines. But because the market has gone up exponentially beyond anyone's anyone's thought process, the market has really been really good to the players. This is not a great. I mean, listen, it's a lot of money. I'm not going to say it's not. Thirty three million a year is a lot of money for. But if you look at it, you know, what Carlos Correa was looking at getting and what he thought he was worth, he thought he was worth more. Mm-hmm. And given what, you know, what Judge is, I'm not saying he's Judge. He's not He's not a different player than Judge, different player, different impact player. But at the end of the day, he's a pretty solid player. And to he's me, a winning player. Yeah. To me, yeah. he's a $35 million a year player. Yeah. I would have seen him as that, something like that. And to me, the, the, the perfect deal is probably what he got. I mean, in terms of I'm an owner, I say five years. I'll make the, I'll, I'll take a, a shot at five years. And if you're the Twins, which they don't, they, they track talent, but they they don't have the sway of some of the other clubs. So, I mean, I think that's a, a good deal for the Twins. It gives them the identity of a star. He'll play well for them. You know, five years is about right. Five or six years, that sounds about right. And and by the way, if, if he does better, maybe there's a provision in there. They open it up and they 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 can make another deal. I don't know. What I'm saying is, but, but for the shockwaves that this set off, this is an incredibly big story. So for Thank everything you, that we were talking about, yeah, there. Dan, way to come in and, and save the day there with that conversation. You know, we, we finished this whole thing. And, oh, by the way, he's a twin. <laughs> no problem. I mean, it, the deal has a vesting option that can max out at $270 million. Ah, and, okay. And Jeff Passan says it is pending a physical, so... <laughs> That's there always another physical oh. barrier there. <laughs> but it looks like as we as we record this, he's he's yeah. going to the twins, going back to the twins. Okay, so let's take this deal: six years, two hundred million. Throw everything that we were talking about five minutes ago essentially out the window. There, uh, his original deal in terms of length was cut in half. So, would this have been a deal that should have uh, made sense for the Yankees to get involved in at the in these terms? What do you think? Boy, it's it's hard to say. I mean, again, I don't know. I, look, the Yankees have a lot invested in these kids. They do. And they see something that you can't pay every player $30 million a year and $35 million a year. And it's the price of pitching has put has put everybody at a disadvantage. Because unless you develop starting pitching, which the Yankees have really not done, you, you haven't developed it. You have to go out and trade for it, which takes prospects and, you know, takes acumen to, to you know, make the trades you need. Uh, and the Yankees have the acumen and they have prospects, but it's still difficult sometimes to to make that right move. So you're going to have to acquire it that way or free agency, which is any free agent. Look at Rondon. Look at look at what the, the price that he commanded. Anybody who's a good free, a solid free agent pitcher is going to get paid. So, you know, you're looking at paying for a lot for talent. You're just looking for, a, you know, a lot for talent. I think the Yankees have to look at that and say they got to feel that they've got help. There's some place that's going to be able to cover that position and cover it well and cover it for a long time. They've got to be able to feel that, or else they would have said, "I'll take a shot at Correa at those at those years." 
not at the years that were out there. They're not going to give them those kind of years and that, that number, but they might have considered, you know, going back and doing whatever. It's possible that they they could have done it. We don't know that they didn't, by the way. I don't know that they didn't do that, that Brian Cashman didn't have that conversation. He could have. This is true. You're right. Just our hey, knowledge, we're not aware of it. Yeah. Uh, again, the rule of thumb, the team always knows more than we do. Um, they The Yankees did make two. Let's do the Jets. <laughs> yes. Um, the, the Yankees made two additions this month. Yes. Obviously, it's not going to uh, reflect in, in the lineup on opening day, like we were talking about before, but the Yankees brought in Brian Sabian and Omar Minaya, two well-respected baseball individuals, GM history, obviously, for both. Brian Sabian captured three World Series rings with the Giants as a GM. They brought both of those individuals in as advisors. My question here is, Given so much discussion over the recent seasons, when the Yankees fall short in October, the fan outcry is about, man, we're way too analytical. And I hate throwing the analytic word in there because, again, analytics equal information. It's very important. But there's that narrative there. Do you think that this was a mandate? To, to get more of a scouting influence at the top of the baseball operations department because that's the background for Manaya and Sabian? Or was it a situation where it's just, look, two respected individuals, they were available, and when that happens, you have to hire them? Which way was it? Both. Right. I mean, I, I, mean I, I see both. I see if they're both great baseball people. And, I mean, everybody in the game who follows the game knows it. And they're both, you know, respected for their for their knowledge of the game, their institutional knowledge of the game, the positions that they've held in the game, the people that they both are. So, you know, to get either one of them is a coup in your organization. It's sort of like I don't know, like if, if like I, I know that I, sometimes you can sit there and say, I don't know, I can't put a, like um, quantify how exactly this makes us a whole lot better, but I know it makes us better. Because they're they're really good at what they do, and having their influence is going to help us somewhere in in this uh, you know in, in, in the battle of the season, the battles of the season. They will help us. They're just good people to have. So there's some of that for sure. There's without doubt there's some of that for sure. There's also the the fact that they're both they both you know have cut their teeth and they know scouting as well as they know it. They know farm system as well as they know it, and that's going to the Yankees the Yankees could use a little help there. I must say the Yankees have not developed players. I mean they haven't developed pitching. We know that. That they 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 certainly could use some help developing pitching, and some of the some of course some of the players have pants, some of them haven't. But I mean, so the Yankees have you know could always use help in, in in their farm system. So I I think having those two guys around and their minds around and their experience around will definitely help the Yankee farm system. There's no question it'll help them. So help them there and help them in just the experience of getting through the season and the experience with on a, on a, on a, as general managers on a pro level, professional level will certainly help the Yankees as well. And then you know and they're both people that respect and like Brian Cashman. Brian both likes and respects them. So I it's a win-win. I think they're both good moves. I think they went under the radar a little bit with some places because people just looked at it and said, well, uh, oh, they, they're two general men. Why aren't they the general manager? Well, they're not the general manager. Brian is the general manager, and he's a good general manager. And he's got now he's got around him, he's got some I mean, the Yankees have fortified themselves with Jim Hendry and a lot of guys around them who are former G GMs who have you know have that kind of experience and, and are respected around the game and have that acumen. And I, I think it's a good move for the Yankees. I just do. Brian Cashman, the, the thing that always stands out to me, and this is tough because it's not exactly the case in a lot of other areas of life. 
Brian Cashman is uh, smart enough to admit, and this is a good thing. Like he's smart enough to admit, Hey, like if I don't know a certain thing or if I'm not a sharp in a certain area, like I bring on the person that I know is, and I have them with me next to me making these decisions. And I think that is one of the pure, uh, you know, definitions that fall under the meaning of leader. And, you know, you're, you're not afraid to say, Oh, I don't, I'm not as sharp in that area as uh, others may be, but let me go grab that asset that can, help elevate what we're trying to do to get to that end goal. And I think Brian Cashman has proven that he he does that time and time again. And uh, yeah, like he, he has those analogies, those metaphors that he always goes to. He goes, we need every tool in the toolbox and bring it in guys like Manaya and Sabian uh, definitely strengthen that, that toolbox there. Um, big topic of discussion that has been uh, making headlines the last couple of weeks has been uh, Trevor Bauer situation with the LA Dodgers. LA just um just released Trevor Bauer late last week. Stock question here. R- nothing uh too open ended about it. Does Trevor Bauer pitch for a major league team here in 2023? Probably not. I mean, it's I mean, it's such it's not even controversial. It's so difficult a topic in society to deal with. I don't see it. I don't think that the public is very forgiving about the world is not forgiving. The public is not forgiving. It's such an egregious situation that I don't see anybody wanting to go near it. Uh, Could that change in time? It could mellow in time, depending on how Bauer handles the the time away from the game. Um, It could could soften a little bit. Like anything, it's also a very forgiving society that we live in. But right now is not the time for it. I, I think it's, I think it's way too controversial. I don't think anybody will go near it right now. I think maybe in time somebody might, um, but he's going to have to show real contrition and, uh, and uh, about what happened. And so I, I don't see it right now. He hasn't done that yet. That's for sure. Right. Um, there was a story that popped up late last year uh, during the holiday season that you may have missed if you were, you're following baseball this offseason. Ten longtime Major League umpires, they were tired. They, they were tired as a, as a group, really. It's very rare to see that. Uh, Major League Baseball is going to be bringing in ten, essentially, rookie umpires. They've obviously umped at different levels of the minor leagues. They ascend just like the players do through the, the levels of the minor leagues. But they're going to bring in ten rookie umpires while... New rules are going to be pushed out here in 2023. I'm wondering, John, will players and managers show a little bit more patience with these fresh faces when you combine that with getting to learn the flow with the new rules in the game? Nah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't see it. I mean, I, you could say, well, there's, there's a learning curve. We're bringing in, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, people, first year play, uh, umpires, and and we got a little new rules, but everybody's going to just have to go with the flow and they have to be patient. And no, if you're in the middle of the game and you lose a game on a, on a call that you think is egregious or, you know, a decision gets made that you think this, it was ridiculous, it was based on inexperience and I wouldn't say incompetence, I would say inexperience. Uh, you're not going to, you're not going to, when you're asked about it in the post game, you're not going to say, well, that's a learning curve. Things happen, you know, it's, it's just taking it in your stride. No, I mean, the, the, the game isn't like that. And when you play in the heat of the moment, it isn't like that. So I don't know that there'll be a, any of that. I mean, that's the problem when you're making a transition of that, of that, that scale number, 
and you're doing it when you when you've got a lot of new rules in place and you've run of need the veteran experience and you're losing veterans for for you know first year you know uh, help I, I I you know I could see that as being problematic but I you know I I don't know I don't think baseball said it's time for you ten people to retire I think they just decided getting out and it's just unfortunate the way it worked but you know look I look they're gonna have to learn everyone's gonna have to learn they're gonna learn on the job they're gonna have to see how these rules work how they're affected and you know and how they're accentuated and and and, and see where it goes I mean there's no other way to do it you, you got to jump in the got to jump in the deep end of the pool and see, see go swim that's it you know, David Cohn made a good point, I thought, because I, I asked him the same question. Um, it, for me, it's a storyline to definitely keep uh, keep your eye on. But he said the newer umpires, they be, may be more ready than ever with uh, to, to come up and, and serve at the major league level, especially with the new rules in place, because they've been dealing with these rules for a number of years at point. the minor league level. Some of them, that's true. Some of those rules, for sure, have been on the minor league level. That's very true. That I, I didn't even think of that. David is absolutely right, and you're right. Uh, that's 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 a very good point. Um, I could see that. That's right. That they have been dealing with it. They've used the the minors as a, a petri dish for some of these things, just to see. So yeah. So so in, using that as as the logic, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a little more sense than certainly what what I was sitting there saying. I, you know, I don't know. I don't think so. And I but you're right. That you're totally right. All right, let's shift some gears here. We go to the hardwood, John. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets taking us through the winter here on the Yes Network, uh, and and they've been taking the NBA by storm, really. At the time we're recording this episode, the Brooklyn Nets, they are tied for the second-best record in the NBA. They're 27-13. and 13. They've won 14 of 15. They've won 18 Besides, of 20. All right, the team that has the best record is? The Boston Celtics. You have to throw that in. Yeah, well... We're, we're, we're getting there because the Nets and Celtics are playing one another on Thursday. Right, okay. Very important game at Barclays Center yes. coming up. Uh, the, unfortunately, it's it's not going to be that measuring stick game that we thought because Kevin Durant's uh, injury that came up in the team's latest win over Miami on Sunday. Kevin Durant injured his knee, suffered a knee sprain. He's going to be out for several weeks. All that aside, um, I want to get into... The, the the coaching change because Brooklyn's twenty four and eight since Jacques Vaughn took over. I know you watch these games. Um, great job. He's yeah. done a great job. Uh, by the way, shout out to Ian Eagle, named uh, Sportscaster of the Year by the uh, I think that was that NSMA, I believe that's the abbreviation, but the longtime um, Sportscasters Association of America, like the main, basically the academy equivalent of sportscasting. Yeah. Ian Eagle named Sportscaster of the Year. So congratulations. You know, he's one of the he's truly one of the greats in the game. For sure, the consistency that he shows, and as uh, behind that microphone, and his great sense of humor, and his you know his ability to a balance between information and entertainment is almost unparalleled. And uh, he's a uh, he's just a on peril, as they say, right? But but just 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 awesome. And he's as good a guy as he is a talent. So mm-hmm. congratulations to our colleague. Yes, congrats to Ian. Um, for Jacques Vaughn though, how do you think he kind of calmed the waters with this group? Um, they knew him, you know, they knew him, they respected him. You know, he has done it before. He did it, it wasn't like he walked in and didn't had not coach. He had coached done some coaching. So it, they knew him. They 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 understood him as a coach, as a head coach. Um it was what they needed. They they he they respected his talent, his acumen, his his understanding of the game, his experience. And 
yet he was able to, you know, make his point. And I think the problem that it's hard to say with with, with with teams sometimes why certain teams click with certain people and they don't with others. It doesn't mean that the people who are running them don't have the talent. It's just that sometimes there's 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 personality clashes, things of that nature. There wasn't any of that here. There's no personality clash with him. They 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 liked him. They respected him. You know, his I think the reason he hasn't been able to 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 get a chance to do this at this level at that high level of consistent before was because he wasn't a brand name just wasn't a brand name but everybody knew what he was capable of doing it was only a matter of time until he got the opportunity to you know to because he had done it on a fill on interim basis the, the chance to go back and, and, and to honestly get the job and and you know and the nets were playing so poorly that they had to make a change you know i mean no no disrespect to who was coaching or whatever i'm just saying that they they needed to make a change because of the talent that they had and the performances they were getting and the lack of defense particularly lack of defense they're playing much better defensive ball it's one of the reasons they're better so, you know, so, you know, it's, and, you know, and, and they were able to turn that, turn a lot of things around. And, and some of it also was, was the culture by mm-hmm. putting him in here, it stabilizes them in, in a cultural respect, clubhouse respect. Yeah. I think, uh, I think you could see that the, the team gen and, and this happens a lot in the NBA today. Like you, you, you see players kind of go rogue a little bit away from their head coach. They themselves don't value the job that the head coach does. I really believe I think they could coach, they could call yeah. plays. Exactly. And I, I really believe that every player on this roster has bought into what Jacques Vaughn has been preaching. It may have taken some players a little bit longer than others, but I really think at this moment, everyone's bought in. I think they recognize the role that every player has on the team. But I'm really intrigued now how this team responds to not having Kevin Durant on the roster for or in action, at least uh, for for the foreseeable future, this is going to be maybe a four or five week injury uh, for for Kevin Durant. Um, what are you going to be looking forward to with lit- with how this lit- roster responds? Oh, I, I, you know what? I, I think if I'm if I'm on that team and I'm, I'm on the roster, and I look at it as you know what we got to hold the fort. You know, we're we're playing great. You know, we're, we're not going to play as well because he's just not going to play as well losing a star of that magnitude because he is that good. Durant is that good a player. So they they will certainly feel his loss. But the whole idea is that you feel his loss, but your loss, but the loss does not cripple them. The, the, Met, the Nets will still win a representative number of games and hold the fort while Durant recovers from the injury. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's that. If you're on that team, that's your mission. Is like we're not going to play as well. We just can't. You're not going to. And you have to understand that. But you know what? You but that doesn't that doesn't mean you throw the towel in. You have to be able to play good enough where you 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 know you're holding the fort until Durant gets back, and then you worry about where you're going to slot and seed in a postseason. You worry about that then. Right now, they can't deal with that. They got to get through this t- tough. It's a tough time period. It's going to be tough for them. But I think they got enough talent. I mean, the talent has really come through for them. It's, Durant is not a team of Durant. This, the bench has played really well for them, and the backups have played well for them. So this is a chance for them to step up, get more minutes, and show that they that some some cases are, are worthy of being more more minutes. You know, going down the stretch. Yeah, I think uh, we're going to find a, a lot about whether or not Kyrie Irving can be a definitive leader with without Kevin Durant to try and guide this team through the storm. But you're right, the supporting cast is showing that they they are tough when the assignments are kind of out there being defined. They have been given big contributions, guys like you know Royce O'Neal stepping up, who I don't think too many people thought was going to be a consistent starter uh, on this team, but he's emerged as a big pick-me-up. Nick Claxton 
has emerged as one of the best big men in the league. He could be an all-star. So he if they can be. I mean, would you yeah. have said that a year ago? I mean, would you? Not at all. That's the thing. I think they are so much better than the team last year in terms of how they're going to respond to this adversity. Because let's not forget, this was one of the big reasons why Kevin Durant said he requested a trade over the summer. He did not like the the attitude, the language of this team when he was on the shelf injured last spring it felt to him that they just rolled over easily at times. They didn't have a backbone. They, they weren't as competitive as they could be. They didn't know how they could be more competitive without a guy like Kevin Durant. I think this season you're given this, uh, this plate of adversity. I think they're going to know how to navigate the waters a lot different. I think it starts with Jacques Vaughn for sure. Yeah. Kyrie Irving definitely is going to play a large role in it, but just the, the individual roles on this team from the first roster spot down to the 12th or 13th. I just think it's different this season. I think, yeah, you, you definitely measure it in wins and losses because that's the bottom line. Winning's the, the name of the game, but, uh, but ultimately look a little bit deeper and just how they are responding, behaving while Kevin Durant's out. I think you're going to learn a lot about this team. You know, also last year you had the, the, there was all the confusion caused by the stars, yeah. you know, was that with the not named Durant. You know, there was a situation, is Kyrie, when is Kyrie going to play? Who is he going to play? But the situation with the COVID the scenario that, you know, was the COVID scenario. So you, yeah. had, you had that, you had Harden not being in shape and, you know, being a disappointment and wanting to play and then not, not wanting to play. And then you had, you had all that lack of chemistry to put, I mean, to, to, to call it what it was, you know, and a situation with the coach. And I mean, it, it was, it was, it was a situation of, it was chaotic and it was confusing. And it wasn't what you did. It's not the ingredients. We put a, a winning team out there. It doesn't start with with two words called, you know, chaos and confusion. It doesn't. It's not supposed to. It can't. So by its very nature. So the fact is you don't have that situation. You had, you know, Kyrie was in the news for other reasons and other things. And hopefully that, you know, calms itself and, you know, we, we get around that. And, but, you know, but, but the fact is the, the younger players, the, the backup players, the role players, have all contributed and they've had success and they all see it as a way to help make not only to that they have the confidence now to do it, but also they see their roles as growing. If not with this team, then with some other team, it's a great opportunity for them to show what they're made of and not have to be a house of cards. Like it was a year ago. You know what, John, I have a great land, the plane transition here, how we can kind of make this episode wrap around and make a full 360. So we were talking about, new years and how you know it's just another uh you know holiday that that we both of us don't really take much stock in i was with the nets on new year's eve we were traveling back on new year's eve and we were hovering over the new york city area at the stroke of midnight and if you look out outside the windows and each side you would see little pockets of small fireworks go up it was so cool and and I'm like you don't put too much stock in New Year's Eve. The last few years I was in bed before midnight. I would have like paid for that type of experience because that was so unique, something I wasn't expecting either yeah, as nice. uh, as we flew over New York. So I think that was a uh, that was that was one of my coolest New Year's uh, experiences in quite some time right there. That sounds great. I had sherbet instead of ice cream. Perfect. It it's going to be your year, my friend. I know it. The year of the sherbet, sherbet set the tone. The year of co- the coconut sherbet. Yeah. You know that's that. Right. You know that. Is that is that the is that the Chinese New Year uh, theme this year? The is it the year of the sherbet? 
I don't know. No. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I like coconut sherbet. So everything to me is coconut right. sherbet. I do like coconut sherbet, by the way. Are there any, uh, Danny, you like coconut sherbet? Are you a coconut sherbet person? Uh, no, not too much. I like sherbet, though. I'm glad I brought it up. I'm a big. What do you do, uh, Justin? I'm a big coconut fan. Uh, I don't know about my sherbet though. I haven't tried it, so that's not to say I wouldn't like it. I was but, in uh, Hawaii. I was in Hawaii. Nice, Dan. Weren't you? Weren't you? Uh, were you somewhere for New Year's Eve, or did you just take a trip post New Year's? Because uh, judging from your pictures on social media, you had a spectacular time in uh, in Copenhagen, my friend. Yes, yes, I was in uh, Copenhagen for New Year's Eve. It was quite an experience. Everywhere we went, fireworks were going off throughout the day. Uh, it was it was really uh, an amazing experience to be somewhere overseas uh, for New Year's. So it was it was qu- it was quite a trip. Sounds like you're in the DMZ somewhere. DMZ. The demilitarized zone. The DMZ. Do you know what DMZ is? A demilitarized zone. Oh yeah, yes. yeah. No, uh, it was yeah. It was uh, I was in Denmark, Norway, and uh, Germany. It was quite a European that's cool. adventure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. that's very European. Scandinavia yep. is particularly impressive. I mean, Germany is nice too, but Scandinavia is particularly. I was only in Scandinavia once. I actually did a uh, did a, a, a world track and field championship in Helsinki when I was at NBC. Oh wow! And uh, I, I was wow. in Copenhagen with my wife a, a long time ago, and uh, we uh, we were in a crash landing in uh, in Frankfurt, Germany, where the, the landing gear had gone out on takeoff, and they, they, they decided they, they figured they'd figure address it when they got to where they were getting, which was over the pond and uh, over the ocean. And uh, so they foamed the runway, and we we crash landed, and we bounced, and we smoked, and it was quite a quite a rough thing. But uh, but you know when nobody was hurt, we people went on an evacuation slide. And I remember the, uh, I remember sitting there, and uh, there was a chance to have ice cream when the for the uh, and I had the ice cream for the dessert on the on you know, the plane, and I remember as we were going down to hit the runway, I said my wife said to me, I held her hand, and she said, uh, I said, are you nervous? She said, I'm a little nervous, and I said, you know, I said, listen, I put it to you this way, if I knew this was going to happen, I would have, uh, I would, I didn't have the dessert, I would have had the dessert, I skipped the dessert, so I felt really badly about skipping the dessert at that part of my life, figuring that that might have been the last thing I would have had. So who knows? But we got through it okay. But uh, anyway, the uh, that's that's making a long story longer. I'm sorry about that. But it's a lot of fun. It, the Scandinavia is a lot of fun. People are really friendly. It's very historic. It's got it's just it's just great. And so uh, you know, Denmark is great. Sweden is great. Sweden is really good. Norway. It's, any of those places is just great. Even if you like to ski, I mean, obviously. It's great skiing. I used to produce skiing. Another thing I did. So, you know what though? You left us with a fantastic piece of advice as we do begin the new year. People out there listening, always, always take the opportunity to have some dessert. Exactly, because you never know. I mean, those calories may may just you may regret not having them. Right. That's what we're going to leave you with here on this episode of Curtain Call. Thank you for joining us. Here for this edition of Curtain Call, please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. It's the best way you can keep up to date with what we're doing here on the Curtain Call podcast. John, what's your uh, what's your Twitter handle that we can throw out to the masses? Uh, it's uh, jflip123. Okay. I'm at Justin Shackle. No numbers. No, it's at, uh, at jflip123. Jflip okay. And then, uh, of course, the Curtain Call Twitter handle, 
as well. Uh, be sure to to check out some uh, some new updates. And again, stay in t- up to date with the show. What we're going, uh, what we have going on here uh, on the Curtain Call Podcast for Dan Bassoon. How many followers do you have? Around uh, approximately in the thousands. The high seven. thousands, I don't think so, but it's in the. It's in, how many? Seven. Seven. Yes, like Gandhi had like in the millions, right? When Gandhi was like, you know. You know, uh, being Gandhi, you know, he he had like millions of followers. I have like seven. <laughs> My family doesn't even follow me. And you have you have two on this uh, on this recording with you as well. So really, it's like a net of five. Yes, I wasn't going to yeah. say that. I was going to say it's actually worse than it's, <laughs> than the reality of it. But I think I have seven. But I don't really. I never really advertise it. I just sort of have it to. <laughs> do whatever i but uh so, but if you want to follow me sure be my if you want to write me write me i'll answer you because it's, the volume of mail will be very small so i'm very happy to answer do you have the time to get to all that yes uh i've got time right. once but I'll, I'll figure out a way to do it but but thank you appreciate it time to land a plane let's go yes. baby. for john j Filippelli, for our producer dan bassone i'm justin shackle we will talk to you next time here on the curtain call podcast production of the yes network take care everybody <laughs>